Job is a book of all humanity, all of our struggles, all of our trials. It's a book about life. It's a book about life. And that's why we're going to be in Job this morning. And I'll let you begin to turn there. And you can just, you can just turn to the first chapter of Job and just hang out there for a minute. I'm going to read to you some interesting facts about Job. One of the things that... Um, um, is interesting about Job is um, many people or in some uh, scholars call it an allegory or a parable. Job was a real person. He was a real living person. He's spoken of and referred to in Ezekiel chapter 14, 14. He's also referred to in the book of James chapter 5 verse 11 where James talks about his patience and perseverance and that he was a good and faithful man. Uh, Job was a Gentile, and he is thought to be um, a descendant of Nahor. Nahor was the brother of Abraham. Uh, we also know that uh, Job um, was a Gentile, like I said, but he worshipped God. God has many names, and his names reflect his attributes. An attribute, what is an attribute? An attribute is how I act all the time, the way that I act in certain situations, and I act that way all the time. The Bible says God's not a man that he would lie. I, the Lord God, change not. If I acted this way with Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Isaac and, and the apostles, then I'll act this way with you. I am the same. So these attributes about God. And so when we're, we're studying that, one of the names of God that Job knew God by was Shaddai or what we call El Shaddai. El is God. That's the, the name means God, El. Shaddai means Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And so when we say El Shaddai, we're saying God Almighty. And that's the name that Job really knew God by. So much so that the book of Job references El Shaddai or Shaddai 30 different times in the book. Um, another interesting fact you may not know, and I'm a kind of a science geek, astronomy nerd, um, I'm a nerd about learning all kinds of things, but uh, we're not going to turn there. But just for your homework, if you'd like, in chapter 26, verse 10, it says, He, meaning God, drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. This is talking about the earth being round. In the book of Job, it's talking about the earth being round thousands of years before Ferdinand Magellan circumvented, navigated the globe, proving it was a sphere. Thousands of years now before Ferdinand Magellan circumnavigated the globe, proving it was a sphere. It's spoken of the earth being round in the book of Job. That's pretty cool to me. Oh. He put a circular, he drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness, the horizon. Um, also in chapter 38, verse 24, um, God asked Job, it's, it's turned the discourse of questions. In chapter 38, God begins to a discourse of 64 questions he asked Job that ends in a very humbling experience for Job. But in chapter 38, verse 24, God asked Job, he said, by what way is light diffused? And when I saw that, the, 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 um, the science, astronomy, geek nerd in me like, got really excited because 
I realized that it was speaking to the fact that white light is diffused and made up of many different color components and wavelengths. Thousands of years again, before Sir Isaac Newton proved with a prism that he could split light, and white light is made up of many different color components and wavelengths. And this was spoken of when God asked Job the question, do you know where light is diffused, Job? And that's found in chapter 38, verse 24. By what way is it diffused? So that's a pretty interesting, cool fact. Another really cool fact, and you can turn there, uh, not now, but in your homework time, because I want you to read your Bible after you leave church as well. I want you to read your Bible after you leave church as well. Okay, all right. So I challenge you with things to almost agitate you in a way like, I'm going to prove that guy wrong. I'm going to prove him wrong. There's no way that's right. But in, in chapter um, 41, verse 15 through 34, God describes a creature that breathes fire with scales like armor plating that sword or spear cannot pierce. The only thing I know of that's like that is what we consider a mythical creature called a dragon. So you go and read it for yourself. You read on your own. Chapter 41, verses 15 through 34. Get back with me and tell me if that don't sound like a dragon to you. I don't know. It's pretty cool stuff. It also talks about behemoth. Now, when it talks about behemoth, commentators make a reference. And understand commentators are fine, but understand commentators are comments made by men who are fallible and who don't know everything. And some of the commentators say, well, behemoth could have been a hippopotamus. When you read about behemoth in, in Job, it talks about a creature with a tail like a tall timber, a cedar of Lebanon. Hippopotamuses have little tails, so it couldn't have been a hippopotamus. So uh, I really think it's a reference to dinosaurs. But there's some cool things in there about Job. Interesting facts. Um, I talked about Job being the, the, not the story of one man, but the story of us all. If you lost everything, would you still trust and serve God? Today, in the matter of one day, if you lost everything, would you still serve God? Everything. It's one thing to lose your possessions. It's another thing to lose your family, your children. You know, it's an unthinkable thought. I had been faced with that thought before in my life. I've lost family members, loved ones. And if, you, if that happened to you, would you still serve God? Would you still serve God? Um, the interesting thing about Job also is you may wonder, why is Job placed where it is in the Bible? Because we have Job, Psalms, and Proverbs. Job is actually considered a poetic writing. It's been said of Job that Job is a dramatic poem framed by an epic story. Job is an, a dramatic poem framed by an epic story. And that's why it's placed before the Psalms and with the Proverbs, because it is very poetic. When you read Job, it reads almost like a Greek tragedy, okay? this novel of just these highs and lows. And isn't that really what life is for us? Is, has your life always been a high? Mine hasn't either. Has it always been a low? No. 
But it's funny, isn't it? The, the lows seem much longer than the highs, don't they? And don't the lows just wear us out? But many times the lows can only last maybe as long as the highs, but it's our perception of it. Pain seems to last much longer than joy. But there are things that pain can teach you that joy cannot. Always, there are things that pain can teach you that joy cannot. All right, our first scripture we're going to turn to is going to be in uh, the ninth chapter of Job, verse 10. I don't know if we're going to have that up there. He does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. That is the main theme of Job, the sovereignty of God. If you could sum it up in one thing, God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Sovereign means I don't have to ask your permission to do anything. I'm not accountable to anyone. Guess what? When I thought I grew up a little bit and I got out on my own, you know, I'm not accountable to mom and dad again. I'm not accountable to anybody. Yeah, I'm accountable to my boss. I'm accountable to the IRS. I'm accountable to the electric company. I'm accountable to the mortgage company. I'm not sovereign. Neither are you. God is. God doesn't have to explain why he does anything. He does not owe you or me an apology, and he does not owe me an explanation. But many times, because God is a compassionate, loving being, a loving, divine God, he does explain things to us. He speaks to us. He said, my sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. He took time, and he didn't owe Abraham an explanation that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He didn't even have to tell him that he was going down there to do that. But he said, should I stop off and tell my friend Abraham what I'm about to do? And he did. He didn't owe Abraham that, but he did it anyway. And the real story of Job is about our will being broken and submitting to the will of a sovereign God that knows what's best for me. And that's really what it's all about. And that's, that's the main theme. He does great things past finding out just wondrous things without number. Y'all with me? All right, cool. Now we're going to turn to Job chapter 1. I got lots of papers, so y'all bear with me. Job chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading at verse 5, but before we start that, I'm going to read something else. I, um, how many of you, if you were going to be sent into combat, would, would, would you like to be taught by um, a businessman how to fire a rifle? How about how to defend yourself? Now, we need businessmen, and I love businessmen because, you know, they help us with capitalism. The soldier defends our capitalism. But if I'm going into combat, I want a, a guy that's been in combat to train me. Uh, that, I've talked about my friend Charles... Uh, who was a, a Vietnam vet and a decorated war hero. And he said they would tell them to find a guy who's been in country for a while in Vietnam and do, do everything he does. He said literally, they got, he left Fort Benning, Georgia, and when he got to Vietnam, they set him in a fob, a forward operating base in a little hut, and they set him down, and they said, forget everything you learned in basic training. This is a totally different war. We've never fought anything like this before. And he's like, that's when I got a little scared. 
Because I thought I knew something until I got to Vietnam. And they told me to find a guy that's been there a while and do everything that he does. So, yeah, that would be a little scary. So if I'm going into combat, I want someone who's walked the walk, not just talking the talk, who has hands-on experience. Knowledge is great, but knowledge coupled with practical working wisdom and knowledge, the working of it is uh, better. It's a more rounded individual. The greatest sometimes unanswered question of humanity is what? Why? Why did this happen? Don't we ask that sometimes? Have you ever asked God why? Come on. Some of you are being honest with me. Others are lying. I've asked God why many times. Does it make him angry? Does it make I'm, I just get that off your shoulders. It doesn't anger God to ask him why. He said, come, let us reason together. That's what he said in his scripture. Bring your petitions, bring your requests, these things that are on your mind. Come to me and share them with me. Let's reason together. Why is this happening, God? Well, this is happening, but this I can't tell you why. You're not going to understand. Even if I told you, you would still ask me why about this one. And so that's where the sovereignty part comes into play. Um, I'm going to read you a, sh a short list I made up. And this list happened over a period of nine years. Most of it happened just in the past four years. And the reason why I'm going to read this, this short list of things is to quantify me being here and telling you and making statements about trials and tribulations and problems that happen in your life. Um, because I would like someone, if, if I'm going through something, I would like to get advice from somebody who's already gone through some of those same things. And that's who I would like to talk to. How did you survive this? You know, um, uh, the, uh, Casting Crowns sings a song, Courageous. You know, you've heard that song. That's a cool song. But one of the greatest lines in it is, the only way we'll ever stand is on our knees with lifted hands. That's the only way you're ever going to stand. Not in your own strength, not in your own might, but in the Lord. And I'm going to read this. It's about me and my family, just real quick. I started it in the year 2007 because it was a pivotal point for me. It, was, uh, it was, happened that it was the biggest surgery I've ever had in my life at the time. In 2007, I had ruptured a disc in my neck uh, at the number six vertebrae. And it was so ruptured, it was pushing out against my spinal cord, and the disc had blown out on the root nerve of my arm. And my right arm, I had no strength. I had lost uh, about 80% of my strength in that arm, and I had no more reflexes. When I went to the doctor, he's like, your reflexes 100% gone in that arm. Um, and my arm, when I would go to use it, would shake violently. I couldn't hold a cup of coffee in that hand at all. I was in some of the most severe pain I'd ever been in in my life because this disc was blown out on the nerve and was pushing against my spinal cord. And so they go, they, and they tell me, you know, all this stuff that, you know, we, we need to go in and take the disc out. We're going to put cadaver bone in to fill the space. Uh, number five above it is already damaged as well, so we might as well do that one too. But it's up to you. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not coming back a second time. Let's, let's do it all at the same time. And so what they end up doing is they go in, they take out these two discs, they put cadaver bone in, and they put a titanium plate and six screws and fuse three of my vertebrae together in my neck. 
And it was interesting because you would think I would be really upset and worried about the surgery because this guy's going to have a sharp scalpel about a millimeter, a couple millimeters from my spinal cord. You know, if he sneezes, guess what? That's it for me. But I had went that Sunday, the surgery was going to be that Monday, and I went before the altar and asked the pastor, you know, the, the elders to pray for me, you know, about my surgery coming up. And, and uh, I had my eyes closed, and I didn't know pastor's hand was about to touch me, but I could just feel this. It was like a, a presence just went over me, like a blanket of peace. Got up that morning, whistling, singing, taking a shower. My wife's like, what in the heck is wrong with you? You're happy about surgery? I'm like, no, I just feel peace. I had a lot of peace about it. And it went well. I've, I've done well with that surgery. But that happened to me in 2007. In 2009, my father-in-law died of lung cancer. Days before he died, my wife Lori was diagnosed with what's called uh, stage 2, category 2 skin cancer. Just days before her father died. And I don't know what you know about skin cancer, but stage two, category two, skin cancer can get into your organs if it's not treated. And she's been treated multiple times, has had surgeries and things. She suffered greatly, although she never complains. She never says a word. That happened in 2009, after my next surgery, two years before that. In 2010, I blew out my right shoulder. Um, the work that I do is very labor-intensive. It's very manual labor. It's very repetitious with a lot of, you know, crazy stuff you put your body through every day. I blew that right shoulder out. I had to have surgery. Wow. Rough recovery. It was a rough surgery. I had a torn tendon in that arm. I couldn't lift it away from my side. They fixed all of that. And Man, I've got good movement with that thing. But, uh, yeah, praise God and Dr. Julia Smith <laughs> for fixing that for me. That happened in, in uh, 2010. In 2012, I tore the cartilage in my left knee for a second time and had to have surgery on that. Doctor's like, you're going to be out for two weeks. I went back to work in four days. I went back. I was in some pain. He gave me a shot. He said, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Nobody goes back to work in four days after this surgery. But I would work a while, prop my leg up by my toolbox, and put frozen peas on my knee. Yeah. And keep working. Because at the time, I didn't have disability insurance. And so I went on, and that happened. And then in, um, in 2012, of that same year, uh, my mom passed away. My mom went on to be with my dad, you know, it was a good thing. It was a happy thing for her because she missed my dad, and she's at peace and rest now, you know. She got to see her Jesus, her Jesus, because she loved Jesus, you know. But that happened, you know, all at the same time there. In 2013, May of 2013, my son Joshua, we were, it was Mother's Day, and we were over at the pond fishing, and it was a freak accident, fishing accident. This lure came loose that was stuck Hit him in the eye, the hook went in his left eye. I mean, gross, dude. The hook went in his eye, in it. Rushed him to MCV, and they, they uh, took the hook out, and the doctor was not optimistic at all about him even having his eye. Right now, his left eye, he can see out of it better than his right eye. God healed it, along with the surgeon doing his job. But it was like Mother's Day, for Pete's sake. You know, we just, all this stuff had just happened. He had to serve, saved his eye. That same year, and that was in May, and in December, I had ruptured back in November, I had ruptured a disc in my back. 
and sciatic nerve went down. My, oh my gosh, it was horrible. So I go and oh, we got to do surgery on you, Joel. And they they uh, set me up for surgery December 20th. I woke up December 18th at five o'clock in the morning, screaming in pain. Had to go in for emergency surgery on my back. They partially removed the disc in my back. Uh, I had a three-month recovery on that, out of work. Uh, during that time, the Aflac guy did not come through. I had Aflac. There was a clerical error. And for two of those three months, we had no income. But our bills were paid. And our bills were paid because of God's faithfulness and people in this church's giving heart. I, had a, I went out to my car during that time, and in my car was a bag. I preached a sermon about it called God's Peanuts and God's Provision. That was the title of the sermon, Peanuts and God's Provision. The reason why I preached it is because there was $130 in change and a big old peanut can sitting in the floorboard of my car when I left church one day. And my kids counted it out. And God did that for a reason. He didn't give me $130 in paper money. He gave it to me in coins so that when my kids dumped it out on the counter and counted it, the sound of the coins was like the sound of praise music for the providence and provision of God. And that every time Joel ate a candy bar with peanuts or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, he would always be reminded of the provision of his God. Do you see how God does weird and strange things to goofy people like me? Yeah. Peanut cans in God's provision. Now, I could have been mad at Affleck, and trust me, I was a little upset. But God was teaching me lessons through that that I did not see because God is sovereign, and he sees the picture from up here and not from down here. And I needed to see that every time I smelled peanut butter, I remembered God's promise of provision. I've never seen God's children forsaken, uh, God's people forsaken, or the righteous forsaken, or children begging bread. I'll get it right here in a minute. That happened in my, my back. Unfortunately, it, I still have a little trouble with that. Uh, Why well, pay you once when I can pay you twice on the doctor's side? Um, in 2013, of that, that year, later in, in the year, my mother in law was diagnosed with lung cancer. And she had chemotherapy treatments and uh, struggled and had a rough time. Um, in July of 2014, my only son was in a traumatic car wreck just down the road here. He was air-vacked and lifted to MCV. He hit a tree going to work so hard it flipped his vehicle over. And um, it shattered his left femur. It broke his collarbone, it fra uh, cracked his, his shoulder blade, it uh, fractured his uh, arm bone in two, I think they call that one the ulna on the bottom. The upper bone, the tibia was uh, dislocated. He had multiple lacerations. And um, we got a, you know, that, that, that moment of like cold water dumped on your head when you don't know whether your son's alive or dead. That's a rough time. That's a rough time. I met my wife at the end of the driveway, and it was a rough time. And I remember reaching in the back of my little van and pulling my Bible, because I had my Bible there, instant in season and out. And I threw it in her lap, and I said, start reading now that thing aloud. Read aloud the Word of God as we race to MCV Hospital. And they said he was awake, and he knew his name. It's all we knew. And when we get there, you know, I get back in there and I go in and his left foot is 
like this off to the side, and this foot's like this, and it's been a rough recovery for him, a rough road. He's been through a lot. He's one of the bravest, toughest human beings I've ever known, um, and uh, he bears a lot of scars, a lot of pain from that. Just this year in, in 2015, in September, my mother-in-law, whose cancer was gone from chemo, had returned. It returned in her brain this past September. And uh, her left lung, again, the cancer came back. And uh, she's not doing too good, so be in prayer for her. Uh, just this week, my son went in for his third set of surgeries on his arm, second set on his leg. And... Uh, He's in a good bit of pain right now, but the surgery went really well. Uh, they took some screws out of his leg. Looked like Deccan screws, man. I mean, it was insane. But I say those things, and I, I read that off the list, just so you would understand that when I'm talking about Job, and look, I didn't lose all of my children. I couldn't imagine being a parent in a car wreck. You get that call. See, when I went into the trauma unit and trauma room, all you folks were praying. See, we sent out text to Kathy. Kathy, can you handle this for us? Please inform everybody to pray, because we can't. And it went out, and he was blanketed with prayer. I was blanketed with prayer, my wife, my son, our family. But I cannot imagine being that parent that gets to the trauma unit and doesn't see their child alive in their trauma unit. They have to go identify their child. You see, these things, they, they, they teach us about God's faithfulness, but they also break our hearts and give us compassion for others who may be going through something very similar. So there is a purpose to your pain, and there are things we can learn through pain that we can't learn through joy. So that all being said, just when I'm talking about trials, my family, that, that's not even taking into account money troubles. That's not taking into account the cars breaking down. Listen, I got old cars, so when you got really old cars, you usually have more than one, right? So we got like three old cars because you don't know which one's going to start that day. So if that one don't start, just go to the next one, right? So I got three old cars, and two of them's broke down right now, right? So is, is God cursed me? No, it's just life. And cars get old, like body men, and they break down. And they break down. All those things that happen to me physically, surgeries, that's not God. It's just life. It's the job that I've done for 32 years. The, the, the thing of it is, is can I get mad and curse God about it, or can I say it's just life? It rains on the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. Solomon said, I've seen a thing under heaven. It's a curious thing. It happens to the fool. It happens to the wise man. It happens to the rich man, the poor man, the evil man, and the good man. And it even happens to the animals, Solomon said. They all die. Life happens. It's our approach to it when it happens that defines us. All right, I'm going to catch up with y'all and turn to Job. Y'all still with me, not asleep? All right. Many of you may know the story of Job. Many of you may not. We don't have time to go into the full story. Um, let's just say Job had a rough time. 
I'm going to start reading verse 5 of chapter 1 of Job. I guess I'll put my glasses on. That, me needing reading glasses at 49 is not God's fault either. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He's talking about his children. Because above it, look at chapter, I mean, verse 4 very quickly. It says, and his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day. Now, some versions of the, that Bible, that means their birthday. And would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course, verse 5, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now, I don't know about you, but we can't save other people. I, you know, Job was a good man, but he's being a little presumptuous here. When I read that, I'm like... They're grown youngins. They need to sanctify God in their own hearts. Sounded like there was a lot of partying going on with that crew. I'm just saying, it says they were in the house partying. It goes on over when they, when they actually are killed, his children are killed, they was in the house partying again, speaking to being in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. I don't know, I'm just saying. That was a partying bunch there. He did this regularly. He went and he made sacrifice for his grown children's sins. Now, that's a little presumptuous to me. Then there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Now, there's a few things we can learn here. For one thing, Satan is subject unto God even then. He had to come and give an account of what he was doing. He was accountable to God then. He's always been accountable to God. He is a created thing. And the Bible says that every created thing is subject to the name of Jesus. Another interesting thing there is that he asked him, where, where you been doing? And he said, I've been going and walking in the earth, going to and fro. So we understand that Satan is not omnipresent. He doesn't have the attributes of God, contrary to what the movies tell you. Matter of fact, if you look and study it and, and research a little bit, did you know that Satan's real name, Lucifer, is only mentioned one time? One time. The name Lucifer for Satan is only mentioned one time, and that is in the book of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 14, 14, 14, something like that. Let me see here. I might have written it down. It's odd if I didn't write it down. Yeah, I think it was Isaiah 14, 14. It's the only time that his name, the actual name that Satan was known by, um, is ever used. And the reason is, is because Satan means adversary or accuser. Satan is known by his works. That's what he's known by. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the adversary, and that's why throughout the Bible, he is only referred to as Satan. 
Only one time is his real name, the name, his created name that God had given him, light bearer, bearer of light, being of light, is ever used is in Isaiah. And it's talking about his fall of pride. One time in the entire Bible. Interesting fact about Satan. And so, you know, I'm not going to read all that, but there's a challenge here. You know, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And it's not like that Satan didn't know about Job and had, he had already been trying to attack Job, trust me, because he brings it up. Well, there's a hedge about him, and I can't get to him. So obviously, he's been over there trying to chop through the hedge of protection that God had put around Job. And so this... This thing goes on, and, and Job is afflicted by Satan. God basically backs off from Job and says, all right, you believe that he's going to curse me? I'm saying he's not. And God backs away, and Satan strikes, not God, Satan strikes all of Job's possessions and even his family. Now let's jump down here. We don't see Job loses everything, all of his material possessions. He loses them all, all the way down to verse 19. And then he loses his, his children. And we do not see Job mourning until verse 20 when he hears about his children. It says in verse 20 of chapter 1, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Doesn't mean he wasn't upset. Doesn't mean he didn't ask why. But he didn't lay it to his, that God was wrong in what he had done. Now, he continues throughout the book, and... Satan attacks his health, but he doesn't. God says you can't have his life, and he goes through all of these things. So I can identify with the health issues. I can identify with the fear of losing my child to death. But praise God, I didn't. I lost my father about 26 years ago and my mother about four years ago, and, and so I know what it's like to lose loved ones. My father-in-law, who became like a father figure to me, uh, after my father had been dead for so many years, and so we've lost loved ones. We know what it's like. It's not God's fault. We live in a fallen world. Like I said again, it rains on the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. All right. So that was that one. Now I'm going to read that verse. All right, I'm going to Job chapter chapter 19. After all of this has happened to Job, I want you to look at something here. Chapter 19, verse 25. I think I'm going through verse 27. Now, Job has suffered the loss of every material possession that he owns. He's suffered the loss of his health. He's suffered the loss of all of his children. Not only that, uh, servants that he had even were killed. 
and I'm sure many of them, you know, he may have uh, been friends with or loved them. Uh, many times servants worked. They were more like workers than servants, per se. But look at what Job says here. Job doesn't lose heart. Look at Job does not lose heart. Verse 25. He said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh, in my flesh, I shall see God. Now that word flesh there is basar. Basar literally means this flesh. Not regenerated flesh, not a resurrected flesh, but this flesh, the same flesh it's spoken of first in, in, in Genesis when God talks about speaking. He says, and I took from Adam's rib, his flesh. And he, that is where it's first used. And this is in his flesh. Job is saying in this life right now, I will see God. My redeemer lives. This is a man who has lost everything everything and still he has not given up hope he said he goes on to verse 27 whom i shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another how my heart yearns within me even though he thought god was doing this to him he still yearned to see his god and he knew god was his redeemer because god's ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts as high as the heavens are above the earth so are his ways above our ways. And so there's things about God that we're not always going to understand. There's things about God that we're not always going to uh, be able to deal with. We're going to disagree with him on it. All are awful quiet. All right. I think I'm through with that page. All right, turn over to Job, let's see, Job 29. You know, Job, is a, is a, he was a good man. God even says over here, he said, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. He was a good guy. But Job had a little bit of a prideful, arrogant streak in him. I'm going to show you. Turn to chapter 29. It hints to it when he talks the presumption in I can make sacrifice for my children's sins because they may have uh, sinned against you. Well, you know what, Job, they're grown. They're adults. They need to make sacrifice for themselves. But we see a little bit of self-righteous piety here in, in chapter 29 because the bulk of, of Job basically you have this first parts we read about what the bad things that happened to him. And then what happens is, is that his three friends come along, Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They come along and they start busting his chops. All this stuff happened to you, Job, because you're a bad guy. You sinned, man. How many of you have got frenemies? <laughs> frenemies, yeah. These were frenemies. They weren't friends. These guys come along and they're busting Job's chops like they're some kind of self-righteous gurus or something. You sinned, bless God, and that's why you're dying. You know, God killed your son to bring you to repentance. That's a lie. 
And these guys, man, I'm like, really? Those are friends? They're frenemies. And then this, this young guy, Elihu, he comes along, and this dude, he doesn't speak. He lets everybody else speak first, all the older guys, out of respect. Eastern custom. We've lost a lot of that in America today, unfortunately. I'd get a blister popped on my lip if I disrespected an adult when I was a kid by my mama. Woo. Uh. Adults are inside talking, get outside. Yes, ma'am. And so this guy, Elihu, he's a young guy and he even says it. He said, I didn't speak at first, but you guys are all wrong. He's the fourth guy in the picture. He, and he shows up and he's like, y'all are all wrong. You three and you too, Job. And he just goes into a big discourse about the omnipotence of God and the sovereignty of God. It's really cool. You should read it. We don't have time to read it today. But that's the bulk of the book of Job is those discourses, those three friends, amis, frenemies, and this one young man who really speaks a good word, and he speaks truth. But here in chapter 29, we get a little insight into what's going on inside of Job. Verse 14, look at what Job, Job has given his last summary defense. He's given some defenses about himself being innocent. He's fighting and declaring his innocence. He's, he doesn't understand. He's questioning God's justice, you know. And this is like his summary defense here in 29, verse 14. He says, I put on righteousness and it clothed me. There's that I word. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was I was eyes to the blind, and I was feet to the lame. I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. I broke the fangs of the wicked and plucked the victim from his teeth. Then I said, I shall die in my nest, meaning I, I'm, you know, I'm comfortable. I've got it. I'm retirement. I'm, it's all good. And the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me and waited and kept silence for my counsel. What? When I spoke, people listened. I, I, I. Me, me, me. I'm like, wait a minute, Job. Dude, your glory is fresh within you? He says, after my words, they did not speak again, and my speech settled on them as dew. They waited for me as for the rain. I'm like, dude, I'm going to look up narcissist in the dictionary and see a picture of Job. He was stuck on himself there a little bit. That thing kind of riled up in him. Why has this happened to me? I, 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 I'm this, I'm that. I'm good. There is none righteous. There is none good, the Bible says. My righteousness is as filthy rags. And when I read that, I was like, whoa, there's a little streak of pride in there. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So we see that little bit of arrogance in there in Job. And we see Job, he's been questioning, questioning, questioning. I'm going to turn all the way over to 40, 42. I think it is. Yeah, 42. 
And what happens from, we have the discourses of Job's, of Job, Job's, <laughs> putting myself in his place again, of Job's friends, frenemies, uh, the three frenemies, and then the fourth kid that knew what he was talking about. Believe it or not, young people can be smart sometimes, you guys. Old, old people, we can learn something from young kids sometimes. Don't be closed-minded. Okay, just, just a little reality check there. But what happens is, is from up until verse, uh, Job gives this big summary defense of himself. And then in come verse uh, chapter 38, from 38 all the way through chapter 42 down to verse 3, God asked Job six, a series of 64 questions. And man, there are some questions. And that's where we're going to come to in chapter 42, verse 5 and 6. Look at what, see, before I just read about Job says my redeemer lives and there's going to come a day I'm going to see him with my eyes. In my flesh, I'm going to see my redeemer. And look at what Job, happens to Job here. Now, God has just asked Job all of these questions. Um, before we read that, back up a little bit. I'm going to read some of the questions. I don't think I gave you that, Peter, but that's all right. No, I didn't, but y'all just bear with me. But if you back up to chapter 38, that's where the questions begin. And let's back up there to verse 1 and just see how God states these things to Job. 38 verse 1, he says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now, I don't know about you, but if a whirlwind drops down in front of me and starts talking, I'm a little undone right from the start. Actually, maybe you would be like, yeah, happens all the time up here in New York. You know, it's, it's a freaky place, so why wouldn't freaky things happen? I'm like, whirlwind drops down and talks to me? You got my attention. So God speaks to him. He says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Woo, okay. Working on my pride there a little bit. Ouch. Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You've been questioning me and asking me why all this time. Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Exclamation point. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? All the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment, the thick darkness its swaddling band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. I, I hear a commanding voice years later in Jesus on the ocean. Peace be still, that same omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing being saying, enough, calm, peace to the waves. That same voice, the I am that I am. The sacred tetragrammaton is what Jesus quoted when in the I am sayings of Christ, it was the same I am that God told Moses, I am that I am. He's the same divine being. And here it's the same one commanding the waves. You will not go any further. Tell me, Job, were you there when I did that? 
That's a little rough right there. He said, and here your proud waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? He goes on and on and on, 64 different questions. One of them even, by what way is light diffused? You see white light, Job, but I see multicolored wavelengths of light. One day this old boy named Sir Isaac Newton's going to prove it. So a few thousand years from now, Job, where were you when I did all that things? Now that's flipped back over to 42. And this, after God has questioned Job very intensely, we see a change in Job. Verse 40, uh, chapter 42, verse 5, Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. His attitude changed drastically because God had revealed himself to him. Our attitudes need to change drastically when God reveals himself to us. Our attitudes need to be differently about the Lord and his plans Sometimes we didn't know his plans. He reveals them to us, but he doesn't owe us an explanation. All right, let's see where I'm at here. Okay. Now, I want to talk to you about some of the things to take away from this today. I don't know what time it is. Time to get out of here. I have no idea what time it is. Job teaches that some things about human suffering God cannot possibly explain to us at that time. The reason why he can't possibly explain them to us is because he, if he does it, he can't do it without destroying the very purpose they were designed to fulfill. There are things that God has done in my life. If he would have tried to explain to me when I asked him why they were happening, the purpose that he was trying to achieve would have been destroyed. So he just can't do that. We're going to go through things we're not going to understand sometimes. And God can't tell us because it would destroy the very purpose he's trying to bring to fruition in our life. Four main lessons from Job. We cannot understand his workings by rational thinking alone. You will never understand God's workings by rational thinking alone. Faith must rest in God's love and our knowledge of him. I'll say that again. Our faith must rest in God's love and our knowledge of him. I'm going to read, uh, turn over backwards into Job 23. The reason why I read that little bit of stuff that's happened to my family in the past nine years and some in just the past four years. And so you would understand that I know what it's like to ask why. <laughs> what? Really? You're kidding me. All vocabulary words I've used, okay, over the past few years. Really? Oh, wow. So that's why. But let's look at 23 verse 8. There are things that God does that we're not going to understand. 
And this is what Job comes to a realization of. He said, look, I go forward, but he's not there. Backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But he knows the way that I take. For when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. When he has tested me. See, there's a purification and a process that has to take place in all of our lives. Testing has to occur. It proves genuineness and faithfulness. Testing stinks. It's not fun. Hate testing. I hated exams in Bible college. They told us, oh, you only got five questions. Yeah, but the answers had to be a whole page long. I'm like, you people are nuts. Hate tests. It tests us. And I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job is saying what many of you have said when you've been in the midst of problems. I'm a Christian for Pete's sakes. That's what he's saying. And these things are happening. I don't understand. That's right. That's right. You don't understand. Look at 13. But he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. For he performs what is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this, I am afraid of him. It's a little unnerving to think that someone has your life in their hands. And they're not going to tell you everything that's going to happen. That's going to work itself out. Yeah, but it's going to work itself out. Yeah, but. And many of you who are control freaks, that just drives you nuts. Your spouse planned a vacation for you, and you're used to, like, you're the planner. And they're like, no, I got this covered. Oh, my gosh, you just got to go, like, crazy. So most of, some of you who are control freaks, uh, y'all have a real hard time with this one here. It is scary to think that my, hand, my life is in the hands of someone, and they're not going to tell me how they're going to work this out if I didn't know that my God is for me and not against me. He seeks my good and not my hurt. He goes on, he says, For God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness. And he did not hide deep darkness from my face. I'm telling you, there have been times in my life when I felt like I was just, it was dark. It was some dark times. And God didn't keep those things from me. And that's what happened here to Job, and that's what he's saying. But it's speaking to the sovereign nature of God and that there's things that he does that we don't understand. And we have to come to a point where we're okay with that. I'm not saying that we like it. I'm not saying we understand it. But you have to accept it. If you're going to get through this life, you have to accept that there are things that are going to happen to you, your family, and your loved ones that you cannot explain and that God is not going to tell you why. You have to. You just have to. Because if you lost everything today, would you still serve God tomorrow? That's the thing I would ask you. If you lost everything, everything, even your sanity, would you still serve God? 
God is for us and not against us. The second thing you need to understand is we cannot understand ourselves or our lives without understanding that God's will and workings toward us are good. God's workings and will toward us are good. Turn with me to the New Testament. We're going to turn to the book of Romans. We're going to finish up here in just a second. You can hang on just a little while longer. I know you're hungry. Turn to Romans chapter 3. You know, in John 10, 10, it says, The thief came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Many of you are like, what abundant life? Trust me. If you were not in the hands of the Almighty right now, ooh, what your life would be. In April of 2006, had I not been saved, I would be a dead man right now. God is my witness. I stand before you say. So, abundant life. He has given to me. Romans chapter 3, verse 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John acts like a Roman. I'll say you find Romans. See, that's how guys like me Learn stuff. It says in verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance. God's forbearance means his self-restraint. Because of God's self-restraint, he had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, the word uh, propitiation, that's a big word. Say that three times fast. What does propitiation mean? It's one of the most important words in the Bible. Propitiation means the appeasement of divine wrath. Jesus was the appeasement of God's wrath being poured out on all of humanity. And it carries with it, propitiation carries with it the connotation of literally holding back divine wrath what did Jesus do on the cross they stretched out his arms dislocating his shoulders and nailing him to a tree to that post his arms symbolically opened holding back divine wrath that's what it carries propitiation carries with the connotation of holding back wait Lord wait longer father this one's behind me. He's under my blood. She's under my blood, Father. Pass over them. And that's what it carries with it. If you turn over to Hebrews, Jesus was a propitiation for our sins. He appeased the divine wrath of God. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is not a coffee shop. That's one of those Tim Hawkins jokes. I can't rip that off from him, but it was funny. Hebrews, yeah. Another one's holy grounds. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. This is speaking of Jesus. 
that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. And that word tempted there is actually tested. For him being tested, he is able to aid us. This is talking about Jesus being a high priest. He came in human form and knows what it's like to be us so that he would be merciful in holding back divine wrath. Jesus went through all that you have gone through or will go through so that he knows what it's like to be you. Who better to teach you than a combat veteran? That's who I want to learn from. And when I read the words of my Lord, when I read this Bible, when I read all the, the writings of Paul, I'm reading words from a time-tested combat veteran who's been in the trenches, and that's what I need. When, when I'm going through whatever it is in my life, I want to talk to somebody who's gone through that, man. I want, how did you survive that? God. To put it bluntly and simply, God. All right, turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Keep on going. Toward the back of your Bible, 1 John chapter 2. Verse 2, again. Speaking of Jesus, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Jesus took upon himself the sin of the world and he is holding back divine wrath, saying all who would come and gather in behind me, let the blood cover them. Wrath will pass over you this night, just like the Passover feast. All of the Jewish homes with the blood of the lamb on the, the lentil and the doorpost the death angel passed over them. And we're talking about spiritual death here for us. So Jesus is holding back divine wrath, appeasing that divine wrath by his blood. One last scripture there is 1 John, to keep turning over to chapter 4, verse 10. <clears throat> In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How do I know that God is for me, not against me? Jesus. If he didn't, he wouldn't have sent him. He'd have just fragged all of humanity and been done with it. Wouldn't have saved Noah. Said Noah was a good man. The Bible said none are righteous. All have sinned. That was God's mercy. That was totally God's mercy. So when we, we look at that, the danger we have in times of tragedy. See, you need to understand, if your faith about, your faith needs to be resting in the knowledge that God loves us, and that he, if, you, if your faith is not resting in that, that ultimately, no matter what happens in your life, God loves you, your faith's gonna be uprooted, man. It's gonna be uprooted. Because I'm telling you, man, that there were some shovels being taken to my roots. There were some axes being laid at my roots. The enemy was chopping away at me, buddy. He wanted me to die, and he wanted me to die quick. He was trying to take me out. He didn't want me to, to continue. He didn't want me to get combat experience so that when someone comes to me and their life is falling apart, I can pull up my sleeve and say, you see these scars on me? I've been where you are now, and I've lived, and you're going to live too. 
And the only way I could have gotten those scars is if I had been in that battle. And it wasn't fun, it wasn't easy, and I thought I was going to die there. I thought I was going to never make it out of there. But I have, and you will too. And it's why, as leaders, we go through many things sometimes and we don't understand why because God is molding us into people who are combat veterans so that when trainees come and their lives are falling apart, we can say to you, you are going to live. I have lived. I've survived. I've made it through the fire. And you will too. Follow me. Do as I do. Paul said, the things you've seen me do, do. The things you see, I hear me say, say. When I preach in the gospel, preach the gospel. And so that's the reason. There is a purpose to our pain. I screamed so loud one time, I lost my voice for three days, and I finally I gave in, and I said, God, that's fine. If you won't take me out of this, please don't let it be in vain. And it wasn't. It wasn't. I've gotten to minister to many, many people. It's such a blessing, such a blessing. But in times of tragedy, there's a, there's a temptation for us that we make God our adversary. We can focus on... Um, Declaring our innocence when this happens to us or, you know, questioning God's justice. Um, or we can bow in humility and wait for God to reveal himself. Most of the time, we, there's nothing wrong with questioning God. And we declare our innocence, but yeah, but this. And, but it's when God comes back to us and he begins to prick our hearts and lead us, well, all of sin and fallen short of God's glory. But it's that time when we need to submit and humble ourselves and bow in humility before the Lord. That's the quickest route out of that situation you're in. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right from the start. Wait and give God time to reveal himself and his purpose. The struggle of faith is a personal one. I wrote down here. It's a personal one. We each enter the crucible of life alone. You know what a crucible is, right? You put the metal in that thing, that bowl, that's the crucible, and you stick it in that fire, and you heat that dude up, and it melts, right? You've heard that. How many preacherlicious preachers have told you that before? Refining steel in the fire. And they make it sound all glorious. Yes, bless God. He's going to take you in the fire. Woo! And then he's going to bring you out, and you're going to be all shiny and clean. And I'm like... You left out a couple steps in between there, bro. It hurts in the fire. It burns in the fire. You get depressed. You get sad. You get down. Your car breaks down. Then your second car breaks down. And you like, if a third car breaks down, we're riding the goat to work. This is real world stuff. I'm like, uh, preacher man, with your $10,000 suit, your diamond ring, and your Bentley. Tell me about hard times, please. Woo. God's putting you in the crucible. I'm like, you first. I'll follow you. You go in first. Go ahead. You see, preach to me about it when you've been there, brother. Then your words have weight. Then I'll believe what you got to say. Until you do, speak to the hand. We enter the crucible of life alone. We must test the metal of our faith in God 
against uncontrollable forces and win our individual victories. Your faith's going to be tested. Your faith in God's going to be tested against uncontrollable forces many times. But who's in control? You're not in control of the forces. God is. And what did I just read to you about God? God loved you so much, he sent his only son to die for you to be the propitiation to hold back divine wrath. Divine wrath is being poured out on this earth. It is right now. It has been poured out since man fell. Jesus is the umbrella to that wrath being poured out. And you have got to remain under the blood. You've got to remain there. Almost finished, yeah. That's it, that's it. That's it for that. All right. Here we go. If you wanted a sermon, uh, I mean a title for this sermon, it would be this thing I have in my pocket right here. You know what that is? This little paper thing. It's a coffee filter. It's not a yarmulke. <laughs> Although my bald spot's not quite that big. It's a coffee filter. The title of the sermon today is Father Filtered. Father Filtered. You know, if you were to dump your coffee, I'm a coffee freak. I'll admit it. I'm addicted to coffee. I just, I am. One step to healing is admission, they say, but I'm not looking to be healed from a coffee addiction. <laughs> uh, I drink a pot every morning. And I tell you, man, if you dump that coffee in there without that filter, you're going to have some crunchy coffee. Whew. Ever had camp coffee? You leave about a half an inch in the bottom of the cup. Don't never drink to the bottom of the cup in camp coffee, do we, Gary? We throw out that last half an inch because you don't know what's in the bottom of the cup. Because that percolator done bowled over. Everything as a believer, that's the difference between me and the lost and you and the lost. Everything is filtered through my father first. Satan can't come nigh my dwelling without God knowing about it. That's a hard thing. Think about it now. Oh my God, that's some hard things happening to my family. God, do you realize how scared I was? How my heart stopped and ice water was on me when I didn't know if my son was alive or dead? God, do you realize what that feels like? Yes, son. My son died. Whew. Okay. But God, my son suffered so much. I watched him manually set his bones while he was awake and held his hand while he roared like a lion in pain. And I'm begging the guy to put him out. We can't do it, Mr. Harris. God, do you realize how bad my son suffered? Do you understand the pain that he's been in? He's 20 years old and has six surgeries. A metal plate and nine screws in his arm, a metal plate and six in his collarbone, and a, a titanium rod in his leg with screws. God, do you know that my son suffered? Yes, son, I do. They beat my son to death and then nailed him in humiliation to a tree. I know. There's hard things. And it's hard to trust people with our hearts. But I'm telling you, God will not let you down. There is a purpose to your pain. And 
you may be going through some stuff. You know, there's this crazy song, and you may like it if you do. I'm not trying to offend you. It's just what I was thinking about. I'm like, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? And she's up there singing, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? And I'm like, that's a bunch of bull belogna right there. What didn't kill me didn't make me stronger. It broke me down. But therein is the key because this is what it's about. You gotta, you guys, some, most of you guys know what I'm talking about. I used to buy red wing shoes back when I was making a little money. And I'd buy these red wing boots and they were these Wellington pull-on boots. You know what I'm talking about? Work boots, right? Well, the guy sold me on them. He's like, you gotta wear them for a few weeks, Mr. Harris, and they'll break down around your foot and you'll love them. About a week into wearing them things, I put out about a quarter of a paycheck for them to start with. I'm thinking, all right, man, this will help my back and my knees. I'm like a week in this thing. I'm like, these things are killing me. My feet are hurting. My ankles are hurting. I'm going to go down there and stick these boots somewhere. That guy don't want them back. These things are killing me. And I tried to just, you know, I was stuffing foam rubber down in the sides of them, trying to alleviate my pain. Because I done paid big money for these boots, y'all. They'll break down around your ankles, Mr. Harris. I promise. Trust me. Trust me. I'm like, this nut. He's a nut. Finally, I kept them on. And those things finally broke in. When they broke in, those things broke down around my ankle. Great day. Most comfortable shoes I've ever had on in my life. I wore them forever. I'm a little bit bow-legged, so my heel, my, when you, I wear my shoes so long, nobody else can wear them because the heels are on an angle. And so, just a little bit, but after, you know, wearing a pair of shoes for 10 years, they get a little angled, you know. I didn't want to give them up, and you go back in there, and they got these old boots, the guys that brought them and retired, sitting up there, you know. And that's what you've got to think about yourself. God's the foot, and you're the leather boot. You don't need to be stronger or tougher. Leather already is tough. It's already strong. What leather needs to be useful is to be broken in. And those things break us and make us pliable, and we submit to the will of God so that we can fit around his foot. Because when God puts us on his foot, we don't fit too good. You know, and sometimes the will of God, for us, we get agitated. We're like, that is not what I had planned that is not where I saw my life 10 years from now. But here it is. But that was God's plan. And if I was thinking about that, I'm like, we need to be like an old pair of leather boots I had, God. Once those things broke in, man, they were awesome. Submitting to the will of God. I had a vision years ago at this church. We were in the old sanctuary. And it was like a waking dream. And I was standing back there, and I saw Christians walking stiff-legged like this. And I was like, why are they walking stiff-legged, God? And it was like it panned back, and they had two-by-fours bolted to their legs so that they couldn't bend their knees. And God said they are too prideful and self-righteous to bend and bow their knees to my will. Therefore, they are ineffective. They cannot run. They can wobble. They can't even walk and not faint. And until the two-before's come off and our will is submitted and we're broken down to God's will, 
we're not going to walk in the perfect will of God. There's always hope, always hope. The last scripture I'm going to read is in Ecclesiastes. And you, may, you may be thinking I'm nuts when I read this, but you go back to Job and you got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And it's Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I always thought it was kind of funny, actually. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a chance to. It says in uh, 9, verse 4 of Ecclesiastes, But for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. You know, hope has no limitations. Hope has no limitations. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'm going to say that again. A living dog is better than a dead lion. Boy, I tell you what, I felt like a beat down dog before in my life. Anybody in here ever felt like just a beat down dog? Life has just beat you up, chewed you up, spit you out. Yeah. But you're still alive. And when you're joined to the living, there's still hope, and hope has no limitations. Because you understand that biblical hope is different than earthly, secular hope. It's the, world el, the word el peace. El peace. That word hope there, I'm going to read you the definition of biblical hope. Hope is not an optimistic outlook or wishful thinking, but confident expectation based on solid certainty. I'm going to say that again. Our hope, the hope in Jesus that we have is not an optimistic outlook, and it's not wishful thinking, but it's confident expectation built based on solid certainty. Biblical hope rests on God's promises. Biblical hope rests on God's promises. You can go ahead and stand up and the praise and worship team finally come. I'll let you go home and eat. But if you have been battling, and trust me, there are people who are far better, worse off than me and my family. Many of you uh, have gone through similar things. I know a lot of your stories and a lot of what you've gone through. And you have my respect and admiration because you have not quit. You're still joined to the living, and there is always hope. As long as you're alive, there's hope. And hope has no limitations. This hope is not some optimistic outlook. It's secure. It's a solid foundation based on biblical truths, God's promises. And if you want prayer today, you've just been going through a battle and a tough time. I'd be more than happy to pray for you. Um, been there, done that. Probably do it again sometime. I'm still alive. In this life, we're going to have tribulation, this world. But be of good cheer, Jesus said, I've got to overcome the world. We win. I'm still alive. I love Jesus. I haven't given up on my God. And even in death, I have victory. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.